When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host for this evening's Jamboree of Fun, Gary Cocker. And when you say Jamboree of Fun, there's only one thing you think of. It's the man who corrects literally everybody on Twitter. It's Craig Anderson. Hello, how are you doing? Not bad. How are you this fine Monday evening? I'm all right. And uh, I, I take exception to saying that I correct everyone on Twitter. I correct everyone everywhere. Um, that's, that's my main pastime. Which is literally, again, what you've just done there. So yeah, exactly. So see, there's a bit of meta there. Fully on brand. Um, and obviously some of the uh, things that you've been correcting people online about will be mentioned slightly later on in the show. Um, as with our show last week, um, there is there's a bit of news um, at the moment. So we're just going to sort of dip in and out of various little bits and bobs, uh, most of them involving everybody's favourite bunch of Funsters, Dundee United. Um, and we should probably start there, actually, because although it's not been officially confirmed uh, at the time of recording, going by the local uh, press Twitter accounts, it looks as if by the time you'll be listening to this, that Dundee United will have appointed Tranmere Rovers manager Mickey Mellon um, to the hot seat uh, in their first season back in the Premiership after obviously being relegated by Dundee at Dens, as I'm contractually obliged to say. Um, now, I think the last time we were on, Craig, we were speaking about some of the other... Uh, I can never remember if salubrious is a good or a bad thing, but either more or less salubrious choices or options that Dundee United has. Um, now, Mickey Mellon is coming in from Tranmere. It looks as if the Tranmere fans are pretty positive or, you know, they're sad to see him go, so they were positive about his time at the club. Um, do you think this is, on the face of it, a good appointment by United or do you think there were better candidates out there? So as of, like, two days ago, my knowledge of Mickey Mellon was that he existed. Like, I've, I've heard the name and I've went, <laughs> that's a stupid name. Um, I spent a bit of time looking into him once it seemed like he was actually going to get this job and I actually think he's got a pretty good track record coming in here um, I think we dismissed him last week because we, we basically didn't know anything about him it's weird that he's um, he's actually Scottish he's actually from from Paisley but it's one of those like weird um, 
footballer that his entire career has been in England. Like he's never had any connection to Scottish football at any point in his life. Um, so it, it kind of it's always a bit funny when that happens because you've got these guys who are down south and like someone like Richard Tate fell into that category. Like he's he's mm. Scottish, but he's before he came to Motherwell. You assume he's English when he comes up here because you're like, well, I don't know who this guy is. Um, but yeah, I I think there were higher profile candidates. We obviously talked about Steve McLaren and stuff last week and, and he'd obviously knocked them back. Um, Mackay, again, would have been a higher profile candidate. Doesn't mean he was a better candidate. But Mellon, looking at his track record at three different clubs, he's he's done pretty well at each of them. It's, But I think the thing with it is that you mentioned that he's... You know, he is Scottish, but he spent all of his career down south. And what I'm thinking about is other managers who would fall into that bracket. Not Scottish managers, but managers who don't have any experience of the Scottish game. So obviously you could maybe speak a little bit about Lee Clark. I think most of his career was spent down south before he came up here. And I think, uh, and you'll know better than me, I think I'm right in saying that he had a, a relatively decent uh, pedigree or a decent CV yeah. when he was appointed at Killy. Um, and, and he had that he was fine Lee Clark was fine he, he had an, exactly a year at Kelly he, he literally left one year to the day that he, he joined he kept his up he had that joke thing where he signed like 13 players in one day but as it turned out um, one of them we sold for a million pounds and one of them um, was probably one of our best players of that era and Jordan Jones so Lee Clark was fine but yeah he probably I he came with a big reputation because he'd done really well at Huddersfield Um but then he'd kind of fallen by the wayside a bit. So, so yeah, you're right. And there's other there's other names that you can throw in there. I think I saw a couple of Dundee United fans making comparisons to Ivan Golac because I think he'd managed at Turkey before coming up here. So it was a similar type of um, situation. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the other positives for United fans might be that obviously having spent his whole career down south and uh, you know being a manager down south for some time as well, that he'll have a knowledge of the level of the game that you're seeing a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of successful transfers into Scottish football coming from. So you would hope that he would have, you know, a decent idea of who he could bring in from, say, you know, League One sides uh, down south that would be able to, as they say, do a job in the Premiership. The danger being, of course, that without having that uh, previous knowledge, other than what he'll have gleaned himself of Scottish football he might then, you know, underestimate what is actually needed to succeed in the Premiership. I think it's always funny because you don't know with a guy like that, like he's Scottish, how much does he actually, like, watch Scottish football? It's always hard to tell you. I assume oh, he's, he's worked his entire career down south. It's like, well, I've not worked in Scottish football, but I still watch it every weekend. Maybe he does the same. Maybe he sits down and watches sports scene every Saturday night. You don't know. Like yeah. maybe, maybe he's right into it or maybe he's not bothered. And so it's kind of hard to know how much knowledge he has. And it's hard to know... How important that is. I, I doubt Steve Clark had much n- much knowledge of Scottish football when he came up here, but he did all right. I think I think Stephen Gerrard probably the same and relatively has done a good job at Rangers. So it's and maybe Rogers you could say the same of. So I think it's not a prerequisite, but I think it's probably important that he has someone about who knows something about it. Because um, there's not been any word yet on because obviously it's not at the time of uh, speaking. It's not. Uh, it's not actually been announced uh, who his wider team will be, but I think the understanding is that Lee McCulloch and Gordon Forrest will be leaving United to join up with Robbie Nielsen at Hearts, which then means that United are having to bring in you know more of a back team. Um, you know, 
perhaps the likes of John Daly might come in. I know that he was interviewed for the Dundee United job. And obviously it doesn't look like he's going to get it, but that might be somebody who can be that bridge between you know the new guy and so what, uh, what exactly is needed. What I'd read was that um, Mellon, I think he's assistant to a guy, Michael Jackson, who I think played for Derby and stuff. I think he, he kind of kicked about the English Lower Leagues. He didn't seem too sure if he was coming. Like It seemed like he maybe was thinking he, he might be able to get the Tranmere job. Um, so he was kind of uncertain about it. I think I read Steve Banks is. Um, I, I don't know if I'm mixing this up. I think Steve Banks is a goalkeeping coach, so he was yeah. planning to come back. Um, he obviously played for you, or didn't really play for United, but won a Scottish Cup medal with them nonetheless. Um, so that would be a nice kind of connection there. A yeah. guy that, that does know it, but it, it would be interesting. He obviously may need an assistant, and, and yeah, you're, you might be looking at these guys that have kicked about. But I thought it was really interesting the fact that his career's like what he's done. He's he's generally been successful as soon as he's gone in places so I think Fleetwood was his first job and he got promoted twice and um, I think he got them promoted twice and they were maybe on the verge of going back down when um, when he left or, or at least hadn't hadn't started the season all that well he went to Shrewsbury and I think he took them up one division and nearly took them up again before he left and then Tranmere he, he got them from from the conference national to the conference into league one and they obviously um, where, as, as uh, Anne Budge would put it, expelled from League One uh, at the end of last season. That, it's that famous anti-Tranmere agenda at the yes. heights of the English Football League coming to the fore. Although, although uh, a Tranmere were, were having their own um, battle with the English Football League over the, the fact that the English Football League Instagram account had blocked comments on a, on a thing about Tranmere was apparently um, worthy of like a 3,000 word statement on the Tranmere website. So um, he's maybe getting out at the right time. <laughs> yep, out of the frying pan and into the fire of Scottish football. Um, I mean, just before we wrap up this little segment, I suppose it's fair to say that of the other candidates, as we said in the last show, there's not really anybody else that stands out that you think, why haven't they gone for this person? There's obviously the controversy around Malky Mackay. Although I've not listened to it yet, I think um, there's a sports sound with Tommy Wright, which has just come out or just been recorded, one or the other, where he basically alludes to uh, having a, a gentleman's agreement with St. Johnson that he wouldn't take another job in Scottish football until November. Or club football, I think, was actually the phrase used. So that would rule him out from joining United, because I doubt United would you know, be go without a manager for three months just to hang on to get Tommy Wright. That's not going to happen. So once you take out Tommy Wright, Steve McLaren who turned them down uh, and rank Malky Mackay as, uh, you know, maybe not worth the hassle, then you're not really left with any obvious candidates. So it perhaps makes sense for them to just go for somebody who is a calculated risk, given that they don't know much or, you know, on the face of it, don't know much about Scottish football, professionally speaking. Um, but it's, you know, it's maybe a better punt than, for example, Austin McPhee or John Daly or Barry Robson or any of the other former United players that have been linked to them? I think I think the other thing is they're paying compensation for them, so that does have to be factored in. However, I always think it can be misleading because perhaps his salary's so much less actually, even when you factor in the compensation across like the the length of his contract, it could still be a cheaper option than, than some of the others. It's hard to know how much managers earn at that level and it's hard to know how much... Um, you know what that what that is, but it feels like for him it's got to be the biggest job of his career. So it will be interesting because I think it can it can be a sink or swim for this guy because he'll know himself that nobody here knows who he is. Like 
So he's got a lot to prove, even if he's got that track record as a manager, he's got to kind of turn up in Scotland and say, look, here I am, this is this is what I'm about. Because I, I have to say, even kind of reading up on him, I didn't really get a sense of what type of manager he is. Now, I actually tend to like that. I tend to worry when I see someone hiring a manager and, and they're very, or they're, they always play this system and you think, well, well what if they come to Scotland, they don't have the players for it. I like someone who, from, from what it looked like, was you know open to doing different things depending on where he worked and depending on the players he has because I think you have to, to to be successful. I I reckon they should be kind of cautiously excited about this appointment. I think it's it it seems on paper pretty good to me. Yep, and I mean as we've discussed already, uh, it's he may come with a a whole a host of ideas about who he could sign. From the English lower leagues, and I think that's that's always a rich vein uh, for for Scottish football to tap. It's worked for a lot of clubs in the past, and United will need uh, to have that knowledge. Um, well, they need to strengthen the, their squad a lot, so it will be helpful. Absolutely, um, and obviously, the uh, my guess is that the the money that they got for uh, letting Robbie Nielsen uh, go home to Hearts uh, has just basically been shifted over to uh, paying off Mickey Mellon, which might be why. Um, it looks as if the uh, United Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers will be looking for a, uh, contributions from fans and other clubs to help with their legal defence. So this is our second topic of tonight, which is um, the ongoing court saga, which is keeping uh, Scottish football journalists in jobs over the summer, um, is rumbling on at a great pace. Uh, and what we've seen today is, a, I say a joint statement, basically just the same statement posted on three different club accounts um, between Dundee United, Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers saying that they've already incurred the legal costs of I think around £50,000 in the court process to date and they're anticipating that it will reach up to £150,000 by the end of the arbitration process. Now when we last recorded Craig and we were sort of feeling out a little bit in the dark what had actually been going on in the court case because obviously not everything was out in the open. But now things are a little bit more, so um, can you summarise in a very uh, accessible manner the uh, the findings of, I think it's Lord Clark, who uh, decided basically the next steps in this whole saga of reconstruction and promotion and relegation? Yeah, so again, I'll, I'll preface this as I did last week with the fact that I have, I'm not a legal expert, I am not a lawyer, um, but I did read the, the judgment. It was not unreadable to me it was like yeah there were little bits where you had to read it over three or four times but I read complicated documents a bit in my work so I'm kind of used to that Um, basically the Dundee United Dundee United Wraith and Cove put forward a a motion to say we want I think I think their motion was we want it to go to arbitration and we want the court case to be completely scrapped the SPFL said we want this court case to be set aside while we go to arbitration and uh, Hearts and Thistle said we don't we don't want arbitration at all. We don't think their their argument seems to be based on the fact that the SPA sorry SFA's arbitration rules were for football matters, and they were claiming this was not a football matter. That was one of the things that seemed to come up. Um, ultimately, the three promoted clubs lost their case, so that, so that's 
part of why they have those legal expenses. The SPFL won out against Hearts in the, in the aspect of it going to arbitration. But the one kind of success, if you want to call it that, that, that Hearts and Thistle did have was that the court ordered the recovery of documents, I believe it's called, which means that all the documents have to be made available within reason to the arbitration panel. Now, what's not clear to me is whether that would have always been the case. So would the SFA arbitration always have been able to go out and, and seek out all these documents? But I think the fact that there's a legal order to it probably confirms, guarantees that that would be the case. But I was amused by, well, two things. First of all, that, that Hearts and Thistle had to pay half of the SPFL's legal costs, which um, certainly suggests that which direction the, um, the victory was in. Um, which was not not for Hearts and Thistle, and then I was very amused by the spin being put on it by by Hearts and especially Hearts fans who were claiming it was like a score draw. It's like no, no, it wasn't. You lost. Um, they were claiming that they had that. I, I saw lots of claims online that the that the SPFL didn't want it to go to an independent panel. Well, no, that's literally what they argued for in court was that it should go to an independent panel. And I saw them making a big play on the fact that the Lord's judgment said that it had to go to a person with 10 years standing in the legal as the chair, uh, in the legal profession as the chair of this. Again, that's literally what's written in the SFA's rules. So essentially, the, the victory that they were claiming on that aspect is essentially just that the Lord said, here's the SFA's rules, make sure the arbitration follows them. And that seems to have been perceived spun somehow as a victory, which is, is absolutely not the case. Um, I think the SPFL had made an argument in court that um, it should be there should be people with football knowledge should... That was why they wanted it to go to arbitration. Basically, they said people with a background in football should be hearing this case. And I think Lord Clark specifically disagreed with that and said that it was a legal matter and therefore these people with legal experience should be included. However, I think that was misinterpreted by people as him saying the arbitration panel should be made up of these people. It will be, but these people, by the very fact that they're on the SFA list, will probably have a foot in both camps. They'll have a knowledge of football, but will be legal experts, whereas I think had it gone to a court case, there's probably no requirement that they have any knowledge of football at all. Um, So I, I think that's maybe where the confusion came from, but I think the... Hearts fans selling this is a is somehow a, a draw or a it's really what what we wanted are, are kind of talking out their ass um, because they they did lose the the main part of the legal case because they've been told go to arbitration and although the court case is still live from what I gather now if the for the court case to be filed back up they would have to prove that arbitration had not acted lawfully. So in other words, there's now a much higher bar for them to clear if the arbitration goes against them. Yeah, I think that's that's probably one of the key points is that I think initially, I mean, obviously this, you know, like anything uh, involving the law in Scottish football goes through about four or five different versions until uh, legal experts actually say, no, this is what this actually means. But you're right in saying that I think the the only way that this would go back to the court would be on a point of law. So it wouldn't just be if arbitration. So the panel is three people. And my understanding is one will be 
appointed or suggested by Hearts and Thistle, yep. basically. One would be suggested by the league. Uh, I think that would be the same person that United, Wraith and Cove, sorry, Wraith and Cove would have as well. Uh, and then those two people between them would agree on a third neutral chair, essentially. Um, so, I mean, arbitrage, basically just mediation. Yeah. Um, and whatever that panel decides, um, it's my understanding is it's not just the case that if they decide, for example, um, sorry, Hearts and Thistle, you know, promotion and relegation stands, um, your compensation claim is a bit ridiculous, but we'll give you, say, 500 grand and 100 grand a piece to come out of SPFL prize money for the following season. Hearts and Thistle couldn't then go, well, we disagree, that's unfair, that's not enough money, and stamp their feet and go back to the court. It would have to be on the basis of them, I can't think of what it would be, but just not following... The court saying, uh, we're now going to relegate you to League League 2, each of you to League 2, and fine you £3 million. That would be out with the rules of the SFA and therefore would breach the contract law at which point they could appeal that so I think now basically if the arbitration panel whatever they decide decide within the rules of the SFA then I think both parties will really be bound by that at that point Um, I did did want to bring up there was a very very funny or funny to me thing which was um, in in the court document which cited a case from 1894 or no sorry it wasn't from 1894, it was from 1922, Sanderson and Son versus Armour and Co. If the parties have contracted to arbitrate to arbitration, they must go. And I think that's pretty much what we said last week. Um, they, they, they said, um, they both signed up for the SFA, the arbitration exists, therefore that's what they've agreed to do, so you have to do that. Um, I am slightly now confused by the position of the three promoted clubs in this, having read up on it more. Yes, because I think this is the aspect of it which has emerged a little bit today. So I think over the weekend it was looking as if basically I think most people agreed that it was unlikely that promotion and relegation would be cancelled, reversed, whatever you, however you want to phrase it, um, that that wouldn't happen and it would just basically be a case of the arbitration panel agreeing on some form of compensation or some form of, sorry about that lads, but this is the best we can give you. Um, but what's happened today is we've seen the three uh, promoted clubs, uh, I say promoted, air quotes, whatever you want to put around it, um, coming out and saying that the costs are so high that they may have to withdraw. And I think there's been a little bit of confusion about this because I think some fans seem to think that Hearts and Thistle have taken this case and it's only those three clubs standing in the way. Um, but in actual fact, they seem to have almost tacked themselves onto it, given it's the SPFL's yeah. case to defend. Although there is the added wrinkle of the fact that Hearts and Thistle named these three clubs specifically, and so they felt that they had to you know, rush to their own defence. I, I think that's the thing that, that gets me. It's like I've seen people from, from those clubs and also other people saying why like, these clubs are being made to defend themselves against something that they're not responsible for. And, and they're not being made to do it. They've chosen to do it. The SPFL are already putting forward the case. Now, as, as we talked about at the start, those three clubs lost their, lost their claim. So, so actually, the legal advice that they took clearly wasn't particularly successful. They didn't have a strong enough case to throw out the whole thing. Had they not bothered getting involved at all in the court case, we would probably have seen the same outcome and they would have saved themselves 
50 grand or whatever it is. That's my view. I, I can't guarantee that would be the case because, of course, there is the other option that by taking that extreme case, extreme position, it actually pushes, you know, pushes the judge towards the, the middle point. You know, there is that aspect of it, it makes it an easier decision by pushing towards the middle point, which is the SPFL, and maybe that was the intention. But I can understand that they have slightly different aims because, so you're right to say they were named in it because basically what Hearts are trying to put forward is, and Thistle, so I keep leaving Thistle out because Thistle are being dragged along by Hearts and paid for and funded by Hearts, so it's, it, it makes sense that it's, um, I'm just saying Hearts, but I do mean both clubs. They they are wanting essentially certain SPFL resolutions. So the resolution that Dundee voted on that we talked about, certain aspects of it to be overturned. Funnily enough, the aspect they don't mention overturning is um, Celtic winning the league because I think they don't want to open that can of worms. So I think there's a bit of shitebaggery there as such. I mean, what I think the, the stance or their argument would be, oh no, it's fine with people being champions. Yes. They can be champions, but we just want to cancel the promotion part of being yes. champions. And um, it's not often that I would have uh, sympathy for Dundee United, but uh, I imagine it being told, oh no, yep, you're the champions of the championship, but you've got to play it again next year. Um, probably doesn't exactly scream of uh, sport and integrity and just reward, you know. That, that was funny because it, it did seem from the talking of sport and integrity, like the, the hearts kind of got hoist by their own petard a bit in the court because they, they were trying to claim it wasn't a football decision that thus made it not eligible for... Um, for the arbitration, but then the judge quoted back that they said in their argument that it breached sporting integrity. And, they, and he, said, he said, I can't remember the exact wording, but he basically said sporting integrity is, of course, a phrase completely associated with sport, and therefore it is a football decision. But yeah, you're right. But um, because those three clubs were explicitly named as being the champions who would then not be promoted, they, they decided of, of their own accord to go to court. I don't think they had to. Um, it's certainly not my understanding that they had to. So they spent money on this, and now they're looking to spend money at the arbitration, and I don't necessarily really see why, with the exception that, obviously, the SPFL, their goal is to minimise how much money they have to pay Hearts and Thistle, ideally to zero, mm-hmm. whereas the goal of the three promoted clubs is to stay promoted, to stay promoted even if it costs the SPFL money. Because yeah. that, so the, the rest of the, there are they have got different aims, but ultimately it feels like a lot of money to be wasting. And I am tempted to think that this is all a little bit convenient. Just as I think Hearts, um, Hearts especially Thistle to some extent, have been taking their fans for a ride by spending compensation on a new manager, expensively signing new players, whilst claiming their skin and that they have to give everyone pay cuts but also can you give us this money to fund a legal case? I think it's the same at that end. I think it's a bit of a shakedown. It's saying, please give us some money, but oh, by the way, we're also still going to try and um, sign a new manager and stuff. So so I think there's an aspect of like just basically trying to shake their supporters down for money. I did read the I did read the statement when it talked about support from other clubs. I did wonder if they actually just meant um, in that aspect... Um, support in the sense of written like statements saying we support their position rather than necessarily I'm sure they'd welcome financial support, but I did wonder if they were they were more looking for, you know, other other SPFL clubs to step in and say write a letter on their behalf almost, you know, like a, a character thing saying 
we support Dundee United's promotion, we voted this way because blah, 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 rather than saying, can St Mirren chuck us 10 grand? Yeah, um, particularly because every club is in maybe not dire straits at the moment, but you know every club has their own pressures to face. Um, so asking them to chip in to a legal case which will be carried forward regardless of whether those three clubs carry and, forward and which, and which they're already all paying for through the SPFL court yeah. fees anyway. Again, unless some of those get awarded back to, to Thistle and Hearts. And I think the other interesting thing that's come up a little bit today, uh, although this is, you know, sort of a, a very online argument, if you will, is uh, we've, we've seen certain reporters speak about how unfair it would be uh, for Hearts and Part of Thistle to be relegated, and then fans of Dundee United and Wraith Rovers and Cove, who are totally, obviously, uh, devoid of self-interest in this, arguing equally that it would be unfair of them not to go up. Mm. Especially now that you know those clubs will have been planning, or you know, tentatively planning on the basis of going up in terms of which players to sign, uh, contracts to hand out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody that's involved in this argument uh, is, you know, has their own axe to grind, has their own uh, particular self-interest in this. But I think what what is quite amusing to see is that very few people are able to hold the two ideas in their head, which is that you can believe it's unfair for. Hearts and Parts of Thistle to be relegated, but equally believe it's unfair for Dundee United, Wraith and Cove to be denied promotion. Um, and obviously the two of those ideas, you know, short of reconstruction, are totally... You, yeah. know, that you, you cannot uh, satisfy both of those conditions. So then the choice then comes down to which one is less unfair. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's been the, the nuance that's been lacked all along. It's like... Nobody wanted this to happen. That's not the, the SPFL doesn't exist to choose to relegate teams after thirty-one games or whatever it was. They they want the season to finish. It saved them a lot of hassle. But but they exist to make decisions. They had to make a decision one way or the other. They can't they can't say, yeah, we're not going to relegate you. Yeah, we're going to promote you. Well, they they, they could do that via reconstruction, but that was overwhelmingly voted against no matter what way it was put forward because there are a myriad of other issues with that. So I think it's that aspect. And, and I think that's what's really been solely missing from the coverage of it from um, from the media in particular. And um, you can think of, of certain individuals who, from, from my eyes, have been cheerleading particular positions um, overly um, that they've not, really, they've not really grasped that a decision had to be made. You can't just kind of, like, like Northern Ireland basically stuck their heads in the sand and pretended it wasn't going to happen right up until about last week, at which point UEFA said, uh, you need to make a decision by the 3rd of August here. We need to have teams at which point they had to do it. Would, would people have rather the SPFL waited until last week to make this decision? I don't really understand that side of the argument because as of right now, we're actually still not allowed to play games. Like the... the even the, the fixture list that got announced today is technically still provisional. I have no doubt it will go ahead, but yeah. it's not like you can say, oh yeah, go and play. And I have seen um, some uh, Dundee United fans uh, very quickly checked if uh, there were many home clashes between Dundee United and Hibs. Yeah. Uh, which obviously, uh, if the league were 
thinking that there was a possibility that hearts would still somehow stay up. They would seek to avoid, and there's actually quite a few clashes, um, at least in the same weekend, I think four or five maybe. Um, so that in itself maybe suggests which way the league thinks this is going to go. And we will come on to talk about the fixtures in a little bit. Um, but there was one other thing I was going to raise in connection to the clubs, which has completely escaped me at the moment. Just uh, on that thing on the fixture list, like you, you remember when the Club 12 season, when Dundee came up? Those yeah, fixtures entirely had, fair. Those fixtures had more or less been written for Rangers at the time because I, as in as in this moment, Dundee United are the Premiership club. Like Factually, that's the case. Right now, Dundee United are the Premiership, Hearts are in the Championship. Mm-hmm. Just as back then, up until the vote was made to... Um, expel, I think was actually the correct phrase, Rangers from the SPF, SPL um, they were the premier, the SPL club and Dundee were a championship or a first division club so the fixtures were written this year for Dundee United last, the last time they were written for Rangers so then when Dundee came in, they didn't change the fixture list, it just meant that when there were clashes, one of the teams had to move on the Dundee team. So so I remember um, going to uh, Tannadice on a Friday night. We drew three each at Tannadice. And I remember going to Dent on a Sunday, both of which were moved because they're both at home. I don't think the SPFL have the capacity. I don't think it's actually possible to do a fixture list that avoids all these different clashes. So if Hearts end up back in Dundee United's place, they'll just, Hearts and Hibs will be playing a lot of games on Friday nights and Sundays. And I remember the other thing I was going to say, which is it's a statement of the obvious, but if there was, I think what is winding up some fans is that there is um, this perception put forward by, as you say, certain individuals that there is a simple solution to this. But if there was a simple solution, we would have probably arrived at it two months ago. Yeah, three months um, ago. Yeah, you know, there, there would not have been multiple votes um some of which were contested in the league, you would not have clubs taking the league to court and then clubs issuing a sort of, I don't know if you call it a counter suit or whatever you would call it. I'm, I'm not a legal person. Um, but you know, you wouldn't have had all of this rigmarole and all of the, the circus that there has been around the league if there was a simple solution. At the end of the day, there will be winners and there will be losers from this process. There is no way that everybody can be a winner. Even if you had reconstruction, that would have ramifications lower down the leagues. And it would also probably involve, I couldn't see how the league could move to 14 teams with, what is that at the moment, four weeks? Yeah. Until kickoff, even slightly less than that. No, sorry. Yes, it is slightly less. Three and a half weeks, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I cannot see how they could do that without postponing the the start of the league, which would then have the knock-on effect on finances as well, albeit obviously they would, they would recover in time as well. Um, so really it is just a continuing shambles, which we're probably going to be coming back to again and again over the next few weeks. Um, I suppose and it's the only a shambles thing- that we are seeing in other countries. I kept hearing, you know, I kept, there was this constant of, oh, we're the only country doing this. Well, no, France have now said again, it went to court, it came back, the court went, can you think about this again? They thought about it again and went, no, you're still going down. Belgium, it seems to be the same story. Northern Ireland have relegated teams and I think Wales have relegated teams. So it's it's not like we're the only place. Like out of the sort of 13-odd countries that have had to stop, 
roughly half of them are still relegating teams. It's not like it's not like it's a one-off case. Exactly, and it's. I mean, the good thing is that um, we will very shortly, and this is the the very smooth segue into our final topic. Uh, we will very shortly be able to stop talking about this sort of stuff and actually talk about some football, yes. um, which will be nice uh, on so many levels to actually have football to discuss. Because today saw the release of the fixtures uh, for the Premiership beginning on Saturday the 1st. Uh, obviously, it's still subject to approval from the government because who knows what will happen in the next few weeks. But all being well, uh, the very first game, or sorry, the first games of the new season will be Dundee United at home to St. Johnson. Hibs at home to Kilmarnock, St Mirren at home to Livingston, uh, a Saturday evening game on Sky between Aberdeen and Rangers, um, Celtic I'm, versus... Something I'm pretty sure would not have been allowed on a Saturday evening uh, in normal circumstances no. if fans were travelling from Glasgow there's, to Aberdeen. There's a lot of things about this list which um, which highlight the unusual circumstances we're in. Uh, one that doesn't is the fact that you're going to see Celtic v Hamilton on Sky on the Sunday. It feels like every time I tune into Sky Sports, it's Celtic versus Hamilton in some shape or form. Uh, and then Ross County Motherwell is a Monday evening kickoff. Um, I mean, it's in a sense, it's pointless discussing the fixtures because it's just different combinations of how teams play each other. Um, I think the one thing that has jumped out to some people, which caused a little bit of discussion online, is that, uh, as everything does, is that the first Old Firm slash Glasgow Derby, whatever you want to call it, we don't really care. Uh, first game between Celtic and Rangers will be the same weekend that Championship League 1 and League 2 are scheduled to kick off, um, which I think some people viewed as being uh, unfairly shadowing uh, the the kickoff of those leagues. But in reality, is it probably because the league's planning on that being the weekend that fans can actually go into the ground, so therefore surely you would want to have Celtic Park full for that game. Yeah, I think it's like if, if if you look at it like from the SPFL's perspective, well, Sky Sky are, I think Sky have been fairly good to the SPFL over the summer. Like they're allowing the streaming to go ahead. They don't seem to have asked for as much money back as they could have done. They've obviously got some stuff back in exchange for it. Um, and and I think one of the things that they've probably been given in exchange is they've been told we'll, we'll make this game as late as we possibly can. I.e., fixture eleven out of eleven in the hope that Sky can broadcast an old firm game with 60,000 fans rather than zero fans um, because it's going to be a better better for Sky. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely surprised by that. I think I think there's some, some aspect to it, yeah. It, it will take up a lot of the media discussion on the weekend at the lower leagues kickoff, but to be honest, it could be any game and the media would not talk about the lower leagues kicking off because they quite genuinely don't give a fuck. Um, it would normally kick off the same weekend that the Premiership kicked off and the Premiership would get all the chat I don't think that the Daily Record is suddenly going to be talking about Dunfermline v Queen of the South because it's the first game of the season they would still be talking about whoever Celtic were playing whoever Rangers were playing so from that aspect I I don't get it the the thing is um, we can talk about this as well but they did announce that the Championship um, TV on Friday night is still going to be going ahead um, I saw BBC they kind of sneaking that out today so Hearts v whoever on the Friday night will um, still be a big game for the championship that weekend yeah. I mean I I am fully expecting to um, you know be chased down a side street of Gorgie on a Friday night at some point as Dundee play Hearts at Tyne Castle Hearts, can, Hearts can get their relegation flag day 
um, on the first Friday <laughs> of the season. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I guess that's the other thing to talk about. So um, uh, yeah, the, the other you, you mentioned the, the odd things on the fixture list. The other odd thing being that there are some uh, six pm midweek kickoffs, which, <laughs> which I, it does happen a few years back. I don't know if you remember it from um, the, 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 in fact the infamous Inverness Celtic game when Neil Lennon kicked the water bottles. Um, that was a 5.45 kickoff on a midweek because it, they weren't allowed to clash with UEFA. Um, I don't know if it's the same reason now, but other uh, probably it's just not, they don't want it to clash with other games. But because there's no fans there, it, it's not such a big deal about having to schedule games for people to get there. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, speaking of somebody who tried to go to some of the 7.05pm games yeah. in uh, in the championship last season, it's actually quite, I mean, obviously I live in Edinburgh and Dundee playing Dundee, believe it or not. Um, so that there is only an hour between, you know, it's an hour's drive from my house to Dens, but that's at the best of times. That's not taken into account rush hour traffic over the bridge. Now, obviously most home fans will be going yeah. you know, from the city that they're in, but once you get to, you know, the size of crowds that you'll have in the premiership, and especially if you're making it six o'clock, um, you know, it then asks people to, you know, if people work a sort of Monday to Friday, nine till five, um, realistically, they're looking at taking a half day. And that's not for the people who would want to, you know, go to the pub beforehand and everything. That's just for people wanting to get to the game on time. Um, you'd have to leave and you can only imagine that um, somehow less trains will be on rather than more trains yeah. uh, for those fixtures as well. So there's... As ever, there's a little bit of uh, perhaps scheduling things to to fit in with TV broadcast but, but it's ideas. Less, less of a big deal because I think we're pretty pretty safe that, that nobody's going to be there anyway. So it's like it's like <laughs> yeah. when I saw I saw Kelly and Morrow fans both. I don't I couldn't tell if it was tongue in cheek or not, but complaining about having away games at Ross County. So you're not going to go. Who cares? They yeah. can to drive up to Dingwall, but that, they're paid to do that. It's a full time job. They can they can do it. Um, probably save his money in a hotel. I mean, that's a very good point. And also, it's it's the fact that whenever people complain about Ross County or Inverness, um, the, <laughs> aut- the automatic retort is, well, what about their fans? Every time, if they're not playing you know, their Highland rivals, then any game they've got that's not at home is a long yeah, pub down the eight line. somebody. It's not like they're... Yeah. 20 hours away. Um, so yeah. you can just have a big round robin tournament up in the Highlands where you just get all the games out of the way very quickly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and I guess the other the other announcement um, today um, to kind of coincide with that is that BBC are bringing back Saturday night sports sound, sports st- Saturday sports night sports scene, which I yes. think will be um, be cracking. I think it's it's been a long time coming on that. Um, I think we'll have to. We'll probably have to understand that the production values may be a bit lower because there will still be a quick turnaround to get everything together. I don't know when it's kicking off and all that, but just having it to be able to come home for the game, sit down and watch it, rather than like some nights when we're doing the podcast on a Monday. If I've had like a busy day out on the Sunday and I've got a busy day at work on the Monday, it's actually a struggle to watch the highlights in time before we've recorded. And it sounds stupid, but you forget about it. Yeah, as well because um, you know, unlike some some other leagues uh, close by that we could mention, you know, most of our games still take place on Saturdays. So, you know, in my head, Saturday is football day. And, you know, you want to, you know, capitalise on the enthusiasm and people thinking, oh, it'd be good to see those highlights, etc. By the time it gets to Sunday night, 
I think most people are beginning to already turn their mind to, you know, what they've got on at work that week. And, you know, you don't necessarily make time for it in the way that you would on a Saturday. So it's um, it's a good piece of uh, common sense broadcasting, I, I, I as they say. I don't think they'll have much to say, but I hope it doesn't clash with um, Match of the Day, hopefully it's before it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that would be the other thing, because then you're, you're going to get people who will... I mean, it's less of a big deal now, because folk don't watch things when they're on anyway, but um, <laughs> it's... Yeah, but no, so I thought that was that was nice, but they're still doing the Sunday show, because that was uh, the announcement. They're still they're doing the Friday night championship show. They, they didn't technically say they were showing live championship games, but you're not having a Friday night championship show without a game in it. So if, um, yeah. they're doing that. They're doing um, the Saturday sports scene and the Sunday sports scene. So that that... It will be strange to see what they do on a Sunday sports scene if all the games are on a Saturday and they've already had a Saturday sports scene. But um, who knows? We'll find out. But uh, so it sounds it sounds promising to me. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and this is a really stupid question, but as a Kilmarnock fan, what what fixtures stand out to you? Is there anything? I mean, it's just playing different teams in different orders. No, but no, none, none of them stand out to me because I, I don't know which ones I'll actually be able to go to. <laughs> but, um, I, I I always look out for the the Christmas ones. Um, I think we play. I can't remember if it's at home or not. We play Mullerwell um, around about Christmas. I think I always like it when we play them at that time of year. Um, we, we tend to quite a lot. Play St Mirren on the second. So that's our kind of derby. While um, for for us and them, our two actual rivals are, are never really making it up to this level um, so so that's quite um, that's quite a quite a good fixture it's at home this time so um, less exciting it's actually a pain in the ass because you can't get from Glasgow down to Kilmarnock very easily um, but I'll, I'll, I'll find a way and um, I think we played Dundee United on Boxing Day I could be making that up um, I can exclusively reveal that you're not you're playing Livingston at home Oh, okay. On Boxing Day. Um, uh, and you'll be playing Livingston away on the weekend of the first Celtic Rangers match, which you might... Sh- there'll be lots of tickets available um, if we can get in. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm actually quite annoyed because I'm going to Edinburgh on the 1st of August, which is the opening day of the season and we are playing in Edinburgh, but I will, will not be able to go to that game unless I can bribe someone to, to get me a... Uh, I don't know, get me a stewards out. Why would you need stewards? Why, why would a stewards outfit be any good? I'm not going to have stewards without anything. <laughs> I need to register myself as an official cameraman or something so I can get along to Easter Road. I'll just stand outside there, and watch it. There are also uh, those uh, big, I think it's called the Chrysalis, or you know, it's got one of those staff names. Uh, there's big flats that overlook Easter Road, so just befriend somebody. If, if any of the listeners know someone that lives in those flats, drops the line. that for one of the English Premier League games. I can't remember which team it was. Um, they, they tired out. It was a hotel that overlooked the stadium and they tired out the room of it. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. So that, that might be the way to go, although I can't think of too many uh, towering hotels or flats near... It will be nice to get back to Tanadice, I guess. I don't know when that is. I've not been there in a while, obviously. Um, and I might try and get to Dingwall this season because I didn't get last season. And the first game I'm not going to go because it's, um, it's a Wednesday night and it's going to be behind closed doors. But yeah, yeah, you, you don't really look out for particular games. I like going to Fur Park. I like going to Easter Road. I normally like going to Tynecastle. Um, I like going to St Mirren. I like going to... Is that everywhere? Livy's all right, Perth's all right. I tend to, you're actually quite lucky in that, like when you live in Glasgow, you can get to most of the games. It's like much easier than when I lived in Ayrshire and you have to add like an extra 45 minutes on every journey. 
Yeah. Well, I look forward to uh, when the championship fixtures come out and I have all my delightful trips to Inverness and Dumfries um, to, to try and plot out as best I can. Um, but we will leave it there for now uh, on an optimistic note because we're actually talking about real football games and not just the games being played in the media and online. So thank you very much, Craig. Thank you, Gary. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we will speak to you soon. Yeah, we're doing a Patreon. Listen to oh, me. yeah, yeah. We're doing a Patreon. Well, the people have probably already turned off. But yeah, um, we're going to look at the signings that have been made so far and try and pick out the 12 best signings. Um, given that there have been 24 signings in the Premiership, um, I imagine that the bottom reaches of that top 12 will be minging, but we'll do our best. So uh, look out for that. And we will speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Podcast Network.